You're listening to the Sunday morning message from Clouds Creek Baptist Church. Join us for worship Sunday morning at 11. Or for more information, visit cloudscreek.org. How's everybody doing this morning? You guys sounded awesome. You guys sounded awesome when we were singing. It was loud. It sounded great. You guys, it was so encouraging to me. I love to hear the people of God worship. I think that's uh, residue, if you will, from me being a worship leader for a decade. Uh, I think I will always love to just hear the sound. Not that anyone else can't, right? Like you can, everybody can enjoy that. But I love hearing the sound of God's people worship. And, uh, it was so, so good this morning. Um, this week, we're continuing our series called Flawed Church. If you want to open up your Bibles, we're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Um, and I thought this morning I would just start off with a little bit more music. Uh, if you guys would indulge me, we'll just... Amen. I hope that was encouraging. You guys can go and have a great week. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. Uh, God has definitely gifted me in my cymbal playing. This is not very useful, right? Like, if, really, if I said, okay, you guys can go home, you guys would be like, what did we do this morning? We just sang, and then I don't know what that was. Was it Morse code? Does anybody? Was it Morse code? Anybody? But just maybe, just maybe thought. Maybe I would lucked into some Morris code there. That would be cool. Um, and so we've been talking about spiritual gifts, and Paul actually starts off talking about this very thing. So let's just jump right into it. He says, If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong. I couldn't get a gong. Or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I give all, my, all I possess to the poor and give over my body to the hardship that I may boast, but I do not have love, I gain nothing. It's unclear of, of why Paul brings up this idea of spiritual gifts. We don't really know if he doesn't say like, hey, you wrote me about this, or maybe this is just something that Paul has heard. But what happened to the church of Corinth is something that happens a lot in, in our modern day churches. We've become too focused on our actions and actions are insufficient. Actions are insufficient. If we break down what Paul actually says in these verses, he gives several different examples, and then he even gives um, like a what happens if, right? So the first thing he talks about speaking in tongues, which is clearly a gift that the people of Corinth were, were really focused on. You can tell by how much Paul brings it up that this is something that the people of Corinth were really kind of honed in on is this idea and this gift of speaking in tongues based on how much he talks about it. And he says, look, I don't care if you can speak in tongues. This thing that's supposed to be worshipful and holy, right? If you're doing that without love, you're just a clanging cymbal, which is a little annoying. Was anybody annoyed while I did that or just mostly just confused? Right? Like, again, same thing. Like, if you're doing anything thinking this is going to make me look and sound holy, but you don't have love, it's just annoying and people will be confused. He says, prophecy and knowledge. You can prophesy all you want, 
You can understand the mysteries of God. You can understand all of that. You can have so much faith that you can move mountains. And you would think that those things would make you more like Jesus. It would be like, okay, if I can understand and if I can know and if I have enough faith, then I will be more like Jesus. And he actually says, you are nothing. He says, if I do this and I don't have love, I am nothing. It doesn't make you more like Jesus. It makes you nothing if you're doing this without love. And then he talks about sacrifice. You can give everything away to the poor. You can give away all that you have. There are so many um, wealthy people in the world that just give away a ton of stuff. But if they're doing it to make themselves look good or just because they feel like it's what they're supposed to, you're not actually gaining anything. That's what he says. He says, I gain nothing. You would think that this idea that Paul says, or sorry, that Jesus says to the rich man, he says, hey, look, if you want to enter the kingdom of heaven, you've got to sell everything and give it all to the poor. But even that action alone is not enough. Our actions are insufficient. It will gain you nothing to just give everything away and to be the most humble and do anything, to give somebody the shirt off your back. It doesn't matter if we don't follow it up with love. Without love, it's all useless. And that can be a tough pill to swallow, right? It can be a really hard thing for us to understand that it's like, wait, I thought all of these were good things. I thought these were all good things that we're supposed to do. Yes, but not on our own strength, not on our own abilities. You can speak in tongues, you can prophesy, understand all good things of God, be a person of incredible faith, Give to others, lay yourself down. If, some, if someone described you like that at your funeral, you'd be like, I'm set, right? Like if that's how someone described you at your funeral, you'd be like, man, I'm getting ahead of, in, into heaven. But then if you walk up and you hand that resume in, he's going to say, this is not right. This is not what I needed to get in to heaven. I don't need your resume of things that you did or how much you knew. That's not the purpose Imagine how you would feel walking into heaven with that on your resume and being told, oh, I'm sorry, you missed it. This is, Paul is actually echoing the sentiment of Jesus in Matthew 7. He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one that does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? And I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. You can do all kinds of stuff. But if you don't have love, you gain nothing, you are nothing, you're annoying, and people will just be confused by you. The difference here is motive. The difference here is the motive. Why are we doing these things? Are, we, are they speaking in tongues to have a holy appearance or to try to build the kingdom of God? Are we trying to understand Scripture and have so much faith that it points to us and how much we know, how much we believe, or is it to point others to God? Are we helping people out of love or kind of a self-righteousness or a sense of duty of this is what I'm supposed to do? 
Again, it's not that doing any of these things is wrong. That's not what I want you to hear me this morning is say, well, I don't have to give anything to the poor anymore. Pastor Blake said, don't have to. It's worthless. That's not what I mean. It's the reasoning behind it. And, and Paul actually goes on to continue to explain what this love is, right? It's again, Paul, Paul is so practical. I, I love his writing because he's practical. It's not just like, hey, do all this with love. And it's like, okay, what does that mean? What does that mean? So he goes on to explain it, picking up in verse 4. He says, love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. Paul lists 16 characteristics of love here. I, I double-checked. I counted twice, multiple times, okay? It's 16. Trust me. I mean, you can count if you want, but it's going to be 16. 16 things that when we say we love someone or when we say we love God, we can look at this list and say, is this describing the love that I have for them? We talked a few weeks ago about uh, the different kinds of love, right? That we have one word for love in English. And so when I say I love football and I love my wife, although it may seem that I love those two things equally, I promise you I do not, right? Or when I tell one of you I love you, promise you, do not love you like I love my wife. I promise. Or even my kids, right? It's different. This love, we, we have one word that means all of these things. But the, the people, the, in, in ancient Greek, they had these four different words. They had... Um, now, I didn't write them down, so I was, I was like, I can remember those. Uh, eros, phileo, storge, and agape. They had these four different kinds of love, each one with a different um, kind of flaw other than agape love. Agape love is this love, it is, it is described as the love from God, that we cannot on our own have this agape love. Even the love that a parent has for a child is not this agape love. This agape love is different. That's why it describes, that's why Paul is describing it this way. He's like, look, I'm trying to tell y'all, this, this is a different level than what you have been told your whole life. And the whole overarching theme of this, this group of verses here is that this agape love, God's love, is selfless. This love is selfless. We keep coming back to this idea, and Paul is, is continually referencing the idea of how inflated the people of Corinth's sense of worth was, right? They had this, this overinflated ego. They thought really highly of themselves. They were very puffed up that they were like, hey, we, we have this going on. We, this is, I, am, I am a good person because I speak in tongues, and that's my worship to God. I'm a good person because I know a lot of scripture, so you, you should trust me. I'm really holy. I know a lot, and I believe a lot in God. Paul is saying, no, 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 stop. Stop puffing yourselves up. Stop thinking that, that this is about you. Calm down. Love is not about you. Love is selfless. And I want to actually go through the list of things that, that Paul writes. If you're following along in Scripture, I'm going to do my best to go in order of these things that Paul writes. That it's like, hey, these are the things, this is the things that happen when, you're, when we're talking about this kind of love. He says that love is patient. 
Uh, this is something that I, the Lord has been testing me on because I have a four-year-old. They will test, test your patience. Amen? Yes. And impatience, when we look at what the opposite of patience is, is impatience. And what is impatience? Impatience is me focusing on my time, me focusing on what this does to me, the fact that this is annoying to me. Sorry, I'm just thinking about my kid now. So if all of my, if it's not super applicable, I'm sorry. It's, it's all me focused when we talk about impatience, right? It's like, why, why do I have to deal with this? Why is it, if, if you're waiting in a long line, you're like, why today? Why when I'm here, right? Why, why did someone get in an accident? Now I have to sit in traffic because somebody was, didn't know how to drive. I have to sit here now. It's all self-focused, right? That's what impatience is. In and of itself, it is a lack of focusing on others. It is self-interested. Love is kind. Kindness is literally putting others above yourself, right? Like, that's pretty self-explanatory. Like, that is what kind is. When you think of kind people, they're always thinking about you. And you're like, man, I wish I could be like that because I do not, right? I wish I could be kind. That love is kind means it is selfless. Love does not envy. When you love someone, you aren't focused on wanting what they have, right? If your neighbor pulls up in a new car, you're not like, I wish I could have a new car, right? Sometimes that's our thought. It's like, man, I wish I had the money to get a new car. That would be really nice, right? The opposite of that, if we we flip it to not be self-focused, it's, man, I'm really excited. They got a new car. That's great. Their old car was perfectly fine, I guess, but now I'm really excited for them. They have this new car, right? It's a, it's, you, we flip it. If, if we are truly loving other people, we don't want what they have, but we're excited for them. We're not upset when somebody that we love gets a job promotion over us. We rejoice with them. We say, man, I'm so excited. Like, I'm glad you got it. It's not, man, I wish I got it. I'm glad you got it. It's the it's selflessness It doesn't boast. It's not proud. Those two things are both, um, again, self-focused. Boasting is talking about the things you have done. Being prideful is focusing on how good you are. And we can't love and be focused on how good we are. We have to build others up instead of ourselves. This love should lead us to remove ourselves as the main character and focus on others. It does not dishonor. It is not self-seeking. Again, this is uh, putting others above yourselves. Opposites of this being honoring people, right? A selfless love honors that are pe- the people that are around us, and it seeks the good of others around us. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. This one can be tough. These two, I think, are, are two of the the harder ones to really wrap our minds around. But again, if we are truly loving the people that we are around, we won't be easily angered. We're not going to hold grudges because when we have this self-focus, we think, how could you think that? How could you say that? How could you hurt me that way? But a selfless love seeks to understand and say, listen, I know you probably didn't mean it that way, I, I just don't understand where you're coming from, and I want to understand where you're coming from. Instead of getting angry, instead of holding a grudge, love seeks to understand and forgive. 
It doesn't, it doesn't get angry because it's more concerned about someone else than ourselves. It does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. Uh, earlier in Corinthians, we were talking about the things that they were doing and, and celebrating and kind of proud about were evil, right? They, they were praising incest a few chapters ago. They're suing each other over minor issues and arguing about who is the best teacher. And Paul is saying, if you love, you're not going to rejoice over evil. You're not going to rejoice over evil. In all those situations, they were seeking after what they selfishly wanted instead of humbly submitting to authority, humbly submitting to truth, and rejoicing in that truth. They were focused on themselves and what they wanted. We don't want to have those hard conversations. We don't want to submit to authority. So instead, let's just celebrate these things that are truly evil instead of let's humbly say, you know what, if this is true, it's difficult, I, don't, I might not like it, but I will rejoice in the fact that it is true. And we get down to the always is, that's a word probably. Love always protects, trusts, hopes, perseveres. These are incredible benefits of true love. That we are protecting and we feel protected by those who we love. It's important for people to feel like they're safe with you. That means when, when we're talking, that's what it means when it's talking about protecting here in love. It's because we all know that if a stranger walks up to me and he's, they're like, hey, I don't like your shirt. I'm like, I don't know you and I don't care. Right? Like, I don't care. I probably will not even remember later that day. I might be like, well, some, some guy on the street told me that he didn't like my shirt. And I was like, whatever, it's comfortable. Right? Have you, how many of you guys, guys especially, are that old that you're like, I don't care, it's comfortable? Anybody? I'm starting to get there. Right? It's like, it's like mm, I don't care, it's comfortable. That's the, like the dad jeans and the dad shoes. I've given up on style in favor for comfort. Whole different thing. Has nothing to do with love. Sorry. I'm just with you. Like, I, I understand. But if someone close to you says, what is that shirt? You're like, no, I can never wear this again, right? Or, or maybe it's something a little more personal. But the people who are closer to you, they have an easier access to your vulnerable spots, right? Their words cut a little deeper than people who are further away because you've let them in. And true love seeks to protect the people around us. They seek to protect. Maybe that protection is, honey, that shirt's a little small, right? I'm talking about wives saying this to your husbands. Husbands, do not say that to your wife. Unless you, if you, any of you come to church with a black eye next week, I will know why. But true love means I'm seeking to protect you, and I understand that that means protecting your emotions with my words. True love protects others. It always trusts. I've talked about this before. Andy Stanley has this really cool principle called choosing to trust. That every single one of us in every relationship in our lives, we have these moments where someone, um, it's called, he calls it a gap, where there's a gap. Somebody's running late. Uh, somebody forgets to do something. Um, I can't think of, somebody says something that it's like, oh, I don't like the way that you said that, right? 
And there's this, there's this idea that you can either fill that gap with suspicion of, oh, they're probably late because they slept in. They don't care. They probably forgot because they don't care. They probably said this because they really meant something else. That's choosing suspicious, suspicion. We are suspicious of their actions. Or we can choose to trust. If somebody's running late, we can say, you know what? Maybe they had a hard time getting out of the house because a kid didn't want to put on their left shoe today. Maybe they had a hard time. Maybe there was some traffic. Maybe they forgot because they had a crazy week and, and there's a lot of stress putting on them. And I, I want to give them trust. I'm going to choose to trust. And that's what selfless love does is it chooses to put trust in those gaps in our relationships. Love always hopes. Love is hopeful for others. It wants what is best. It doesn't, it doesn't say, man, I, I hope they get what's coming. I hope they get what they deserve. But it hopes for the best in people. Love always perseveres. It pushes through even when things are hard. When you aren't getting back what you're giving, when it seems like, man, I don't know why I'm still giving love here. Love always perseveres. This agape love, God's love always perseveres because that's what God's love did for us. That's what his love did for us. He fought for us. When you look at a Bible and you see this whole of scripture and all of these pages and these hundreds of thousands of words that were written are the story of God's love persevering, God's love pushing through to get to us. There was a lot of stuff he had to deal with to get here. He relentlessly pursued us even when we didn't give it back to him. All those times that the people of Israel, that God is, is showing love to them and they're turning their back and he continues to pursue them, continues to pursue us with this love. And then the last one is my favorite, that love never fails. This is a love that is not from the world. We cannot produce this love of God that does not fail. His, God, his love does not fail, amen? It's one of my, my favorite words. I can't remember the song right now. But it says, your love has never failed and it won't start now. I love that word, that phrase. His love has never failed and it's not going to start failing now. What an incredible truth that his love never fails us. And that we're supposed to love others with that same kind of love. Kind of a pet peeve of mine that this is read at weddings. It might have been read, was it? I don't think it was read at our wedding. Did they read it at our wedding? I don't know. <laughs> no, there was a blur. It's read at a lot of weddings, right? Like how many of you guys have heard this whole passage read at a wedding before? It's not what Paul was writing to. Paul is not writing to husbands and wives here. Sure, it's applicable, same love. Get it, right? That's not who Paul is writing to. When we look at this in the context of why Paul is writing this, he's writing this to the church at Corinth and saying, look, you are, you're missing the point. You're focused on your own actions, and I want you to love each other this way. This is not a love that's reserved for spouses. This is a love that we are supposed to have for each other. This is a love that we are supposed to give away 
because of how much has been given to us. It's the kind of love that we're called to give back to God, this love, because he's given it to us. We are supposed to be radically loving people, but we have become consumed with being radically moral people. We are to be radically loving people, but instead we have become consumed with being radically moral people. That's Paul's point. It does not matter if you show up to church every week. It doesn't matter if you do the best churchy things of the world if we don't do them with love. If we aren't loving God with his own agape love, and if we aren't loving each other in this agape love, then we are just annoying insignificant people, and all of our effort is for nothing. That's the summary. I'm just a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. I am nothing, and I gain nothing. If we're doing all these good things, doing all these churchy things without giving away agape love. People of Corinth had completely neglected love for the pursuit of themselves. They were seeking their own good, seeking to look like the most holy person who has it all together, understands God the most, and is giving the most to others in order to gain status. And Paul says, that's not what it is. Love is greater than actions. And he's about to tell us why. Let's jump back into verse 8. I'm going to pick up again because I think that that phrase, love never fails, fits with both the last one and this one. Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know now in part, and we prophesy in part, but when the completeness comes, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child, and I thought like a child, and I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now, we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part. Then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. Now these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. There's a lot of debate and a lot of um, people using this passage to talk about whether or not these supernatural gifts are, are still around today, if they have stopped, and when does that happen? It, that's not what this is talking about, right? Like, I'm not saying that this is not useful for us to dig into that discussion, and we did uh, a couple weeks ago when we did spiritual gifts on Wednesday nights. We talked about that. We got into, the, got into that controversial side of it for a little while. But if we think about the purpose of why Paul is writing this, it's not for that purpose. He's not writing to say, look, okay, y'all, you can do all this, but then uh, in 2021, last year, I know, don't worry, you got to stop, right? You, gotta, you can do all this until the last apostle dies, and then you got to stop. When we read that, is that, does that seem like why Paul wrote it? No. No, what Paul is trying to tell us, I love this. This is the coolest part of the message. If you didn't hear anything else, go back and listen to it on the podcast because it was also important. You need to love people. But this is really good, really good news. The purpose of why Paul is writing is this, is that we cannot arrive here on earth. There's no reason for us to feel puffed up here on earth because there is more to come. There is more to come. Paul uses three different um, comparisons to drive this point home. 
One of them he uses twice. He says, uh, now we see in part, we understand in part, soon we will be complete. He uses that to start and then he ends with that there. He says, I used to be a, uh, when I was a child, I thought like a child, I acted like a child, spoke like a child, reasoned like a child, all, all those lists of things like a child. When I became a man, I put those things behind me. He says, when, when you look in a reflect, now we see things as in a reflection. And let's understand that they didn't have mirrors like we have, right? Our mirrors are a little bit better. They're real good now. Sometimes you go into a bathroom and you're like, whoa, I don't like the lighting in here. I could see myself a little too good in this mirror. Uh, can we turn this down a little bit? Back then, it was just kind of like polished bronze that you could see, but it was blurry, right? Like if you think about looking in a, in a reflection of some metal, the symbol's not shiny enough or I would hold it up and show you. It's a, little, it's a little distorted, it's a little dim, it's not quite right. And what Paul is trying to tell us is that what we have on this earth, even the goodness that we have from salvation is just a blurry image of what is ahead of us. He's saying, look, even all these gifts that you're trying to think is this is the point, there's so much better waiting. That salvation is a process. God's redemption of us is a process. It's a three-step process, if you will, if we can boil it down into those three things. There's justification, sanctification, and glorification. Justification, sanctification, glorification. Justification is, is this idea, Romans 10, 9, and 10. He says, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are, what? justified. And it was, it was your, with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. We are justified. That word justified means the slate has been wiped clean. And we get, it's called, I love it, it's called the great exchange. We get credit for God's life, for Jesus' life on earth, and he takes all the credit for our life that we have lived. That is justification. That is a, a one-time salvation moment, justification, done. Then we move into the next part. So if you are saved, you are in this next part of sanctification. Sanctification is the process of becoming more like Christ here on this earth. Allowing the Holy Spirit to work through you more here on this earth is called sanctification. We see this in, in 2 Peter 3.18. He says, but grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It's that word grow. Anytime you see that word grow in scripture or mature in your faith, this is what it's talking about. It's this idea of sanctification, this process that we are in. And we will be in the process of sanctification until we die. This is kind of Paul's point, right? I know you're like, what does it have to do with Paul, what Paul's talking about? I'm getting there. Hold on. This is the part that Paul is like, this is a blurry reflection. Not quite the end goal. So when the people of Corinth are like, man, look at me, I've, I've done it. I get it. I'm speaking in tongues. I'm prophesying. I'm giving away all my stuff. I understand everything in scripture. Paul's like, this is not the point. You cannot arrive here on earth because that's the last step is glorification. Is glorification. 2 Corinthians 4. 16 through 18, Paul again, he says, therefore we, do, therefore we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Eternal. 
He's saying, look, you cannot reach this state of glorification here. Don't try. Like, be in the process of sanctification. Be thinking, I will become more like Christ, not I have become like Christ, period. It is a process, this idea of sanctification. Don't try to push hard and have these supernatural gifts because you've got to reach a certain level to attain God's plan. It's not what, not what the church at Corinth was called to do. Paul says, love. Calm down. Stop trying so hard and love. We can't do enough. We cannot do enough. We can't understand enough here on this earth. Because again, everything is kind of blurry. We're never going to get to that point to be able to see clearly until we're in his presence. So we have to lean on love and allow that to be what flows into the world around us. Not religious performance, not an abundance of knowledge or understanding. Actions are temporary. Knowledge is limited. And love is eternal. That's why Paul ends. He's like, look, if you take away all this other stuff, you've got these three things that are left. Faith, hope, and love. And we stop trying to be and then stop trying to raise ourselves up and make ourselves better. We're left with these three eternal things. I, uh, I interned with a, a worship pastor who would joke with his pastor that he's like, I have eternal job security. Because he says, Pastor, when you get to heaven, you don't have a job anymore, right? I'm not going to have to preach anymore once we get there. Y'all going to understand everything. You're not going to come to me. You're going to go to God. Be like, hey, God, I don't understand. Was the world created in six days or was it like 6,000 years or was it millions of years? Can you tell me? You're not going to be like, hey, Blake. How about be like, go ahead. You just ask him, right? But he's like, but a worship leader, I'm still going to be doing this when I get to heaven. I'm still going to get to be doing this when I get to heaven. You're still going to get to be there training people for heaven, right? Like, well, that's what we're going to do for eternity. Similarly, when we get to heaven, all these things, we're not going to, that's what Paul's saying, we're not going to have to prophesy anymore because we're there. No need to speak in tongues. We're all going to understand each other. There's no, there's no need for faith because you're there. You're in the presence of God. No more faith required. You can see it. It's not faith anymore. It's just there. Loving God, loving others, that is what is eternally beneficial. All spiritual gifts are for making the most out of this temporary situation. This middle ground, this sanctification that we are are growing in, And we are joyful in, right? Like, I'm not saying this like, hey, let's be bummed that we're in this process, right? Like, this is still exciting. And and we have glorification to look forward to. So when the church at Corinth is caught up in these temporary gifts, they're thinking this is the purpose of salvation, is to get these gifts. Paul is saying, Paul says, there's so much more. You're just focused on this blurry, distorted image of of what we have to do now. But love is eternal. And when we look at eternity, when we put our focus there, that's when we're going to be living the abundant life that God has for us. It's not about doing things on our own strength. It's about love. That's what changed us. 
And that's what's going to change the world around us. Amen? Let's pray. God, I thank you for the people in our life who showed us your love. God, that we weren't saved because of somebody's self-righteous deeds. We weren't saved because somebody uh, wanted to impress us with their knowledge of God. We were saved because of your love. Forgive us when we try to, to live out this love just through actions without the love itself. Let us be people who radically love those around us who are receiving the agape love that you have for us, that we are embracing that and turning it around and pouring it back out at your feet and giving it to the people around us. Let us be people who love. Show us opportunities. Call to our minds when we are trying to do things on our own strength. Lord, I Pray that you would have the Holy Spirit convict us when we are selfishly doing something in the name of Jesus. And God, that we would turn and have the motivation of love, whether love for you or love for the people around us, that that would be our motivation, not ourselves. My prayer for us as a church is that we would be people who love God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, and with all our strength, and that we would love our neighbors as we love ourselves. I pray that you would make us more like that. It's in the name of Jesus I pray. Amen.